This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another episode of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. The college football season is officially in the books. Georgia Bulldogs National Championship taking down Alabama. It was a interesting game. Started out a little bit slow, and then second half got a little bit more exciting. But Georgia pulled away late in that game. And to be honest with you, it's well, I thought Alabama was going to win. I like to see that somebody else besides Alabama won. You know, besides when Clemson took them down. It felt like nobody could really in a big spot beat Alabama. So Georgia, you know, they're right there with them. They've been there right there with them. They hadn't been able to get over the hump. They finally did this year. I think the game could have been very different if Alabama had their star wide receivers. Obviously, John Metchie had gotten hurt, you know, prior to the playoffs. You know, major season-ending injury going to impact his draft stock. And now Jamison Williams also tears his ACL in the national championship game, which was a huge blow for that offense. And I think that really kind of did in Alabama not having that playmaking ability. And they just struggled to put the ball into the end zone, pick up chunk plays. Uh, You know, so that was one of the big things that stood out. You know, the last week, Jeff and I were talking about players sitting out, not sitting out. And we said, I don't think you're ever going to see high prospects, guys who are going to go top 10, top 20, you know, round one, early round two, sit out in terms of playoff games, national championship games. You know, an injury like this really opens up the door. I forget who it was on on Twitter, but they said the opting out, you know, this could really have a trickle down effect for future years because you're really going to put these players in a precarious situation where they're going to have to try to A, compete for a national championship or potentially risk millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars and potentially, you know, their career. Because, you know, one injury, it's it. You might never get an opportunity again. And one thing that I really picked up on, and maybe it was just the wording of the tweet by Adam Schefter. Maybe he was just saying that he was one of the best. But he tweeted out, you know, when, when it became known definitively that Jamison Williams had torn his ACL, he said the top wide receiver in the 2022 class. And I know some people who really like Jamison Williams, but I hadn't heard anyone call him the top wide receiver in the 2022 class over the Alabama guys. So I don't know if Schefter was just saying one of the top guys. It, it sounded like he was saying like he was the guy. I hadn't heard that before, so I don't know if like he was hearing that in NFL circles, that teams really had Jamison Williams ahead of the Ohio State guys. But I think regardless of whether people had him as the, the first, second, third, I think Adam Schefter's tweet for sure lets it be known that Jamison Williams was going to go higher than probably anyone even thought. And I said, I've been saying for for months now, that I think he was going to be way more regarded in NFL circles than maybe draft Twitter, right? Because he was kind of a late bloomer, et cetera, et cetera. We know draft Twitter tends to be very slow to react to that because the analytics community, you know, low breakout age, market share, all that stuff. But it sure sounds like Jamison Williams was going to be a top 15, top 20 pick. Whether that meant he was going to be the first wide receiver taken, the second, the third, you know, who knows? You know, who knows what Schefter truly meant by that tweet? 
but I think it speaks volumes that he was highly regarded. He wasn't making it to day two. He wasn't making it to late round one. This was the guy who was probably going to be a top 15, the to top 20 pick in this draft class, whether that meant he was the first, second, third, or fourth wide receiver, we'll never truly know. And now him and his teammate, John Mechie, both suffer season-ending injuries. It's going to be interesting to see if – Jamison Williams wants to declare and be a probably round two, late round two or round three pick, or does he want to go back to college, kind of show that he's over the injury and see if he can, if he wants to bet on himself that he can get back to being one of the top receivers in the country and potentially be a top 20 pick next year. I wouldn't fault him either way. It's tough. I mean, this is a guy who his game is predicated on speed. I think he's more than just a speed player, but that's obviously one of his, calling cards and one of his traits. So it was really unfortunate to see that. And I do wonder how this game would have played out if Alabama was at full strength, if they had Matchy, if they had Jamison Williams, maybe even if they just had Jamison Williams, I think we could have seen a different game out there. But nonetheless, Georgia comes away victorious. Ray talked about Jamison Williams, his draft stock, uh, some other guys and things that stood out from the national title game. Bryce Young, man, I, I'm a believer in him. I think I think if we fast forward a year from now, I think there's a strong case he's going to be the first pick in the 2023 NFL draft. 369 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. His ability to move around and play off structure, keep his eyes downfield. He made a couple really impressive plays. Sometimes he just didn't have any shot with the pressure that they were getting after him. But I, I really came away, even with the two interceptions and Alabama being unable to put the ball in the end zone, I came away impressed with Bryce Young. Uh, what he did this year, I think, speaks volumes on the level of talent he is. I think as he continues to develop and mature, we talk all the time that development is not a linear path. It, it is going to have its ups and downs. I think Bryce Young is going to be the class of the quarterback position next year. He should be the class of your Devi leagues in terms of trying to get a quarterback. So even though they lost, even though he had a couple interceptions, a couple poor decisions here or there, I still walked away thinking Bryce Young is going to be a big-time star eventually in the NFL. Next year in college football, I think he'll be the favorite to once again win the Heisman. So I go back-to-back in that regard. I love Alabama in the next year for sure. We stick with Alabama guys, Brian Robinson, 22 carries, 68 yards. What I thought was impressive is four catches, 28 yards. He's not going to be a guy that NFL looks at as a guy who's going to be a big part of the receiving game. But the fact that he showed he was even capable of it. Listen, Brian Robinson did a really good job this year. I thought there was a lot of underclassmen backs in that, you know, in that depth chart that could have potentially seized that opportunity as just being more talented players from their, you know, high school recruiting talents and you know, just overall athleticism and stuff like that. And Brian Robinson kind of held everybody off, had a really strong year. I think he's going to kind of, you'll see him in the pre-draft process, I'm sure. I think he has a chance to be a late round three or early day three pick, add to a mix, add to a complement piece in a backfield at the NFL level. So I'd be really surprised if he's someone who hasn't seen his stock rise a little bit this year. I think, listen, he's an early down short yardage, goal line. He's not going to be a guy who's playing a lot on third downs and in passing situations, but it was nice to see him at least be functional in that part of his game in the national championship. If we spin this over to the Georgia side, you know, James Cook, six carries, 77 yards. He had that one big one. Uh, He didn't even do much on the ground, two catches for 15 yards. I talked a lot about him last week. 
that I think James Cook is going to be a guy that really intrigues NFL teams. I think he's ticketed for, for somewhere on day two, probably around three pick. I like his versatility. I think the NFL is going to like his versatility. Uh, his teammate, Zamir White, at 13 carries, 84 yards and a touchdown. I think Zamir White's going to be very much in the Brian Robinson range. So late round three, but probably more of a day three guy. But it's James Cook is the guy that I think NFL teams are going to be more intrigued with due to his versatility. Uh, George Pickens, one big catch out there for 52 yards. This is a guy that if he didn't have that injury, I think we're talking about a guy who could have been in the mix to be the first wide receiver taken. Uh, I'm not sure unless I missed it. I haven't heard whether or not he plans to return to school or declare for the draft. Uh, But he's a guy who I believe would benefit going back to school because I think if he's fully healthy, he would have a monster year next year and catapult his stock right up back into the round one mix for sure. Uh, so those are kind of the things that that stood out in terms of the national championship. Uh, I think eventually Bryce Young will be the most highly regarded player that played in that game on the offensive side for sure. But I like Cook. I like Zamir White as a, as a day guy. I think George Pickens can push his way back into the mix if he goes back to college to be a really early round pick. And I like Brian Robinson as a round three, round four type running back. And Jamison Williams, I'd still gamble on day two. You know, people are recovering faster and faster from torn ACLs. Even if he has to start the first four weeks of the season on the PUP or something like that, I still would take my chances if he ends up the clayer. And if he goes back to try to get himself back into the round one mix, I'd understand that as well. Listen, I mean, we've seen Alabama guys return, right? Devonta Smith, uh, you know, went back when most people didn't think he was. So it's not unprecedented you know when you go back to Alabama yeah injury is always a risk but you know you're going to be playing in big games and you're going to put a production Alabama is just a juggernaut they keep you know churning along every year there's no reason to think if Jameson Williams doesn't go back he's not going to be a star next year at Alabama yes the injury risk is real but I think it might behoove him just like Devonta Smith's or his stock rise if he goes back shows he's fully healthy he might be able to get himself right back into that top 15 top 20 mix next year while we're on the topic of Alabama, I think it's interesting to note Jaheel Billingsley has entered the transfer portal. This was a guy that needed a change of scenery. I think he's arguably the most talented tight end or one of the most talented tight ends in the country. So whatever happened there at Alabama, a lot of issues in terms of, you know, maybe work ethic, maybe not knowing the playbook, whatever it is, but his actual physical talent, athleticism, total package, he really does have it all. So maybe a new spot, New uh, new program can get the best out of him. And if if so, I think you're talking about a guy who could see his stock really rise because I thought he was the one guy that could have saw his stock rise as a tight end position that could have p- pushed like a Jalen Weidemeyer to be the first tight end off the board. I thought Billingsley had that level of talent and obviously a lot went wrong this year at Alabama. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see kind of where he ends up out of the transfer portal and where his draft stock could be if he gets on the football field and has a productive year next year. I think we're talking about a guy that talent-wise could be a top 50 talent, but he's got to get on the field and and, and start producing and show people that he's passed whatever got him in the doghouse at Alabama and show that he could be the player that his athletic profile and his skill set could be if he has his head on straight and everything is clicking on all cylinders. So there it is, guys, kind of a very condensed, uh, NFL draft report this week. Obviously, no other games besides the national championship game to talk about. 
So where we're going to spend the rest of the episode, and this will be a little bit of a shorter episode, and then next week uh, I, I'm planning on bringing on a guest to do a full rookie recap show of the NFL. And you've been hearing Jeff and I and Matt talk about these guys all year, right? And and we'll share more thoughts on on these rookies heading into their second year and the offseason. But we thought it would be really good, and every year we try to bring on you know, a great analyst in the industry to kind of share their thoughts on the rookie class, maybe heading into the off season, some rankings, who they'd be buying, selling, you know, who they think could take the next step next year. So, so that'll be next week's whole episode. It'll be just dedicated to the, the rookie class in the NFL and kind of going into the off season, you know, thoughts on them. But I figured this week, since we had a condensed NFL draft report, I can kind of share my closing thoughts right now and quick thoughts. You know, I haven't sat down and really updated rankings since the NFL season ended. I will do that. But I but I have some thoughts here. And the first thing, let's talk about the the quarterbacks a little bit. And and Trevor Lawrence, best game of the season, you know, Jacksonville upsets Indianapolis, knocks Indianapolis out of the playoffs. That's a kind of game that I really think could be a building block for Trevor Lawrence. I think he showed his ability, his talent. You know, that's one of the things where We've been waiting for that game by Trevor Lawrence most of the year, and we just we didn't really get it. And then in this game, in a spot where all eyes were on Indianapolis, thinking that they were going to easily win that game because they controlled their own destiny to make the playoffs, and Jacksonville comes out and plays their best game of the year. Trevor Lawrence is 23 of 32, 223 yards and two touchdowns. And I think he showed the talent that he has. Now all eyes turn to Jacksonville, and they're, you know, Who's the next official head coach there? What's the plan there in Jacksonville? It's got to all be about Trevor Lawrence. So it was really nice to kind of see him uh, end the season on a really strong note uh, for Jacksonville. Justin Fields didn't play due to injury. Trey, Jimmy Garoppolo was back. Trey Lance didn't play. Uh, Davis Mills really played well for the Texans and pushed Tennessee 23 of 33, 301 yards and three touchdowns. Listen. I came on air. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend that I didn't. I came on air the weekend of the draft, and I said I thought that was one of the worst picks in the draft, and I just didn't understand the Davis Mills pick by the Houston Texans because we knew they were gonna have a poor roster. We knew they were gonna have a, lo- a losing record and be one of the worst teams in the NFL. That I thought it was just a waste of a third round pick. That what at best maybe you get a backup quarterback when you have so many needs and you could have maybe gotten a starter. You know what? Davis Mills is, has played really admirable this year to the point where I'm not sure, especially a weak quarterback class, Davis Mills might get every opportunity next year to be the 17-game starter. And that might be how they kind of approach Austin instead of when moved to Watson instead of trying to get a quarterback back as part of the package, instead of trying to get an early you know, first round pick to draft the quarterback, they might say, you know what, we're going to take all that compensation we get in a Deshaun Watson trade, and we're going to try to build up the rest of the roster, the defense, the offensive line, the playmakers, give Davis Mills all of next year, and then reassess the quarterback situation. Because once upon a time, Davis Mills was one of the most highly regarded high school quarterback prospects. There were people who thought that if he went back to school this year, he could have, you know, he could have developed into a guy that would have been in the round one, round two mix. And he chose to kind of bet on himself. He goes in late round three and he had a really strong rookie season on a team that was devoid of playmakers besides Brandon Cooks, had no strong run uh, run game, a defense that was 
was was subpar at best, and they really pushed and were competitive throughout the year. So Davis Mills, I think, listen, of all the quarterbacks of the five who played, he's clearly number five in terms of dynasty, in terms of fantasy, because there's so much uncertainty still. But it was really nice to see him finish the year out with an impressive performance, almost knocked the Titans out of being the one seed in that game. But Mills has had a couple games like that this year where he really looked impressive. Uh, New England this past week, Mac Jones, uh, he finished out his year. Obviously, New England is headed to the playoffs. Uh, Patriots lost this week 33-24. But it was one of those things that they kind of knew based on earlier uh, games that they couldn't really push the envelope to to get a, to win that division. Uh, you know, for, for a while, the New England, uh, the Buffalo game was in doubt, so that could have impacted things a little bit. Uh, but he had another game, Mac Jones, 230, 261, one touchdown. I mean, if it wasn't for Jamar Chase, Mac Jones would very much be in the rookie of the year conversation, and it would be it would be warranted for sure. Uh, He's he's exceeded my expectations. I thought he was going to be on the Andy Dalton to Kirk Cousins trajectory, and I thought more Andy Dalton. I think he's already shown more than Andy Dalton. I think he could be better than that now. I think he's more, can he be Kirk Cousins plus? And I I think it's possible. I, I do think New England deserves a lot of credit for letting him play his game in terms of not asking him to do too much. And I kind of think that's who Mac Jones is. And I don't think he's going to be a guy that could defy the odds and defy the situation and be a transcendent talent that he can bring others around him. But it's not like New England has a has is flush with playmakers. And he helped New England make the playoffs. He had a really solid year. They didn't have a lot of playmakers and, and skilled players that, you know, that would be starters on other teams at the wide receiver position. So if they build up more around him, maybe there's even more to his ceiling than I thought. Now, I do still think for fantasy, I'd still have him forward heading into this offseason. And maybe that's still too much pre, you know, pre-rookie season bias or, or you know, pre-draft bias from, from my evaluations. But I still think the running component of fields, and Lance and even Lawrence a little bit and their overall skill set, I still think if they hit, their ceiling is going to be higher than Mac Jones. Maybe the floor is a lot lower. And I think that's what we might have already seen this year. Mac Jones was a more finished product. He was more pro ready, obvious, than any of the other rookie quarterbacks. And I think we saw that. So I, I think he enters this offseason and, and, you know, listen, New England still got a, a playoff game. So we'll see. We'll see what they can do this week. But he enters in terms of the dynasty landscape. He enters this offseason as a guy who's probably a low QB two right now. But we'll see if New England could improve the talent around him. And maybe next year they kind of take off the training wheels a little bit. Who's to say he can't be better than, than, than what we saw this year? He's never going to have much in the running component, so that's going to hinder how high his upside and his ceiling is in terms of the fantasy. I think right now, for me, I'd put it at Trevor Lawrence 1, still believe in the talent the most, and this week's glimpses showed the, the level of skill that he has. I think I'd put Trey Lance next because of the system and the scheme. In San Francisco, I'd put Justin Fields next, but him and him and him and Trey Lance are just like they were right before the draft. There's not a lot of separation between them. I had Justin Fields a little bit higher pre before the draft. 
Uh, but the landing spot kind of flip-flopped me to Trey Lance because I believe in Shanahan. He's going to be put in a situation to succeed. Justin Fields, we got to see who's going to come in there. Chicago's whole mindset should be to get a GM who believes in Justin Fields and a coach who's going to get the most out of Justin Fields. If Chicago's going to make, take the next step, they need to they need to ensure that they do everything in their power for Justin Fields for him to be a franchise quarterback that could be a, a top 10, top 12 quarterback in the NFL and could be perennially competing for playoff berths and division titles and be one of be that true franchise quarterback that they need. So that would kind of be what my quarterback landscape looks like, kind of recapping this year. Listen, all in all, it was a pretty down year, right? We thought we were going to see more from Lawrence. We thought Trey, I thought Trey Lance was going to be starting by week four, or week six. We thought Justin Fields was going to be starting for most of the year. I expected them to put up pretty gaudy statistics, even as rookies in spurts, obviously not consistently, but I thought there was going to be a lot more highs than there were uh, lows this year in terms of showing that skill. And it just didn't work out that way for whatever reason, but I'm still a believer in all these guys' talents. I'd still prefer any of those top three guys over any quarterback coming out in this draft class. And to me, it's not even that close to be honest with you in terms of fantasy or dynasty. I'd much rather have any of those guys than any of the quarterbacks this year as well. Uh, not just in terms of real life and, and skill evaluation and talent evaluation, but in fantasy as well. Uh, if we kind of spin this to the running backs a little bit, you know, obviously uh, the cream of the crop is Najee Harris. He was everything we expected. Bell cow back in Pittsburgh, tons of receptions, tons of carries. Uh, one of the focal points of that offense, I think Roethlisberger and, his, you know, regression as he got older really hindered Najee Harris and Pittsburgh's offense as a whole. So I'm intrigued to see where Pittsburgh goes post-Ben and what that could mean for Najee Harris. Because if they were to upgrade significantly, and I, I don't think it would be a lot to upgrade on the, this version of Roethlisberger that we had this year, you can see Najee Harris kind of explode. I think he should go into the offseason as a top five dynasty back. Uh, based on his age, based on his usage, based on his upside moving forward. But, I mean, if they were to get good quarterback play, you could see Najee Harris really explode uh, to be in the top three mix maybe in terms of dynasty running back rankings sooner rather than later. After that, I have Javante Williams at two. A lot of people have him penciled for late round one, early round two in rookie drafts last next year. I mean, late round one, early round two in redraft leagues next year and a top 12 dynasty running back. I could see that argument. I'm going to have a little bit slower of a role to kind of wait to see what happens with Melvin Gordon. Uh, They could easily bring him back on a cheap deal. I don't think anyone's going to be knocking down the doors to give Melvin Gordon a big contract or anything like that. So who's to say he doesn't come back on like a two-year, $8 million contract or a one-year, $5 million contract or something like that. And then they still kind of, even if it it kind of starts to you know, lean more towards Javante Williams, you know, if Melvin Gordon was still there, it could only be a 60, 40 thing. Right. And if it's not Melvin Gordon, is it somebody else? Javante Williams shared the UNC backfield with Michael Carter. You know, most teams in the NFL now don't want a guy 75, 80% of the workload. They want a 60, 40, they want a 65, 35. So I think somebody's going to be there with Javante Williams. I don't think that means he can't be a top 10, top 12 running back next year. I just think, we can't go into the offseason 100% expecting that because things still have to kind of unfold. Now, if they were to get Aaron Rodgers, you're going to see Trevante Williams' stock even rise more. 
But, I mean, who knows? At this point, the whole Aaron Rodgers not playing in Green Bay next year, I think is much more up in the air than we thought it was when this year started and even maybe at the midpoint of the season. Now I think, who knows? Maybe they find a way uh, to mend fences there and he stays there based on another really successful year for Green Bay. You know, them and Tampa Bay and Dallas are the three teams, I think, in best position to make it to the Super Bowl in the NFC. We'll see kind of how that unfolds. But Javante Williams would be number two for me in terms of the running back. When he got really productive this year, again, never that breakout performance we wanted to because of Melvin Gordon, but we saw glimpses of a guy who's going to be a strong RB2, potential RB1 type this year. Uh I think it gets a little bit interesting after that. I have Elijah Mitchell up there at number three. I just think he's Kyle Shanahan's guy. And I am, I'm always the guy who's very leery about day three running backs, right? I was the one screaming from the hilltop, don't overvalue James Robinson going into the offseason last year because I thought they can go into the free agent or the draft and, and upgrade or add to it. And, and they went Travis Etienne in round one. So I just think it's a little different with San Francisco. I mean, they drafted Trey Sermon in the third round. Elijah Mitchell was somewhere on day three, and and they said, you know, it doesn't matter. Elijah Mitchell outperformed him in camp, outperformed him on the field, and seized control of that. Yeah, we know that things change quickly in that San Francisco backfield, but I think Elijah Mitchell very much needs to be considered a strong RB2 going into the offseason and then assess the situation. After that, I have Travis Etienne. Obviously, we didn't see anything from him this year. We'll see how he rebounds off of his major injury. I have Michael Carter and Ramondre Stevenson at 5'6". To me, there's a big drop-off after them. Both of those guys could be parts of their a committee next year. I think Stevenson might even be more talented than Damian Harris, but if not, they're going to perform a 1-2 duo there in New England. Both of them could have RB3 type or RB3 type flex value. When one of them's not playing, I think their value skyrockets to, you know, mid RB2. Michael Carter, he's the guy who I'd be a little bit careful with. I know we we heard this year uh, that he was more of a day two lock, and then there was an injury that wasn't really discussed much publicly that kind of pushed him to day three, and the Jets took him early in round four. Uh, Jim Nagy, director of Senior Bowl, was the one who divulged that information on Twitter during the year. I just think Michael Carter profiles as a guy who's going to be a part of a joint backfield. And the Jets are going to want to do everything in their power to surround Zach Wilson with more talent around them. They got to build up the O-line. They need more receivers. But they also need a better run game, too. And I could see them wanting to bring in somebody to compliment Michael Carter. Listen, I mentioned a couple guys on this show already. I think a guy like Brian Robinson or Zamir White would be very intriguing. Or you could think Jerome Ford. There's a lot of guys in this draft class who are going to be in that round four mix that I could easily see the Jets bringing in another guy. And that, listen, that might be the best case scenario for the Jets. Another, for people who believe in Michael Carter, another fourth round type running back that splits the carries with Michael Carter, but Michael Carter still has complete control of the passing down work and still splitting the, the carries. He might not be the goal line guy, but you know, so that might be the best case scenario. I wouldn't overvalue Michael Carter. I'd kind of value him as more of an RB re-entering the offseason and kind of see what the Jets do because I kind of expect them to bring in somebody. After that, for me, Khalil Herbert, natural talent. I'm a believer in. We saw it when he had an opportunity. Kent Gainwell, I think, still could be a Naheem Hines-type player. And then my top 10 is rounded out by Trey Sermon. You never know. Maybe he could somehow get in the good graces there and and – 
push Elijah Mitchell. I don't see it right now. And then Trevor Hubbard, I think he kind of proved this year what we know, what I thought I knew, which was he's a, he's a committee guy. He's a depth piece. Uh, I don't think he's got more of a role than that in the NFL without injuries and things breaking his way. So that's kind of how I see the, the running back landscape going into the offseason here. I'll do tight ends next, and then I'll end with wide receivers. I mean, what does it really say about tight ends? Kyle Pitts, clear number one. Pat Fryer moved clear number two. After that, it's a complete guessing game. Uh, some people might say they'll take their shot on Tommy Tremble. Other people, maybe Kylan Granson, Trey McKitty, Jacob Harris. Brevin Jordan, Hunter Long, none of those guys going into the offseason are more than like tight end three stashes, you know. But to me, I think Pitts and Fryer with the work discussion, while Pitts maybe didn't have the dominant year that some expected, especially because they only found the end zone ones. I mean, the guy still had close to 70 catches and over a thousand yards. That's a great rookie year for a tight end. So I think we do realize that the sky is the limit for Kyle Pitts. He could easily be on the trajectory to become in the top tight end in all of football in terms of pass catching within another year or two. You know, the, the tight end position, I know I moved Mark Andrews up in my positional dynasty rankings and I moved Kyle Pitts down a little bit. That's just because Mark Andrews deserved to be up there, right? You know, he's right there in the mix now with Kelsey and Kittle and Waller. And Andrews is in that mix. They're, they got to be the top four guys right now. And Pitts is right below them for me. And he's on the upward trajectory to maybe replace them. And if you're a team whose window is not in the next year or two, yeah, I'd still rather have Kyle Pitts than, than Travis Kelsey. You can make the case even over some of those other guys. If you're, if you're talking two, three years down the line, the guy with the highest upside is clearly Kyle Pitts. And Atlanta, obviously, up and down this year. Uh, a lot of attention went to Kyle Pitts once Calvin Ridley stepped away from football uh, to 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 uh, fix and work on his mental health that he said he was. Uh, so there was a lot that kind of gravitated towards Kyle Pitts in a different universe. If they if Julio Jones stays and was healthy and Calvin Ridley's there all year, you know Kyle Pitts is not getting the attention that he did, and who knows what he would have done this year? I think your, those touchdown numbers would have obviously been higher than one. Uh, but I think Kyle Pitts, the sky is still the limit for him. I think he's already pushed his way into the top five mix with upward trajectory to continue to push his way to being number one or number two overall tight end uh, in fantasy, in dynasty. It's just a matter of when, I think, not if. And then Fryermuth, I think, could easily by next year be a low tight end one. Again, wait and see approach with Pittsburgh a little bit, but I think his ceiling could easily be that of a Hunter Henry type when Hunter Henry was with the char uh when Hunter Henry was at the Chargers and, and not injured. Hunter Henry was always in that tight end six to tight end like ten range. And I think Fryermuth could quickly work his way into that mix, uh not maybe in that initial five. And then for me, it's guys like Dallas Goddard and, and TJ Hawkinson. But I think Fryermuth could quickly push his way into that Noah Fant tier, which is in that like seven to nine range. I think Fryermuth could very quickly get there. It's a touchdown machine, but we'll see what Pittsburgh does at the quarterback position. And then if we round it out tonight with the wide receiver talk, Jamar Chase, I mean, what can you say about him? He should be not the number one, just the number one rookie wide receiver. To me, he goes into the offseason as the number one dynasty wide receiver. So, I mean, talking about a quick rise, I think he pushes everybody down. Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. To me, just uh, Jamar Chase should be wide receiver one in all dynasty rankings in the offseason. After that, I think you can 
I think the Alabama guys, just like they were pre-draft, I think the Alabama guys are interchangeable, right? We saw Devonta Smith have big games this year. We saw Jalen Waddell all year be a target machine. Uh, and he, I think, has more that he could still show in terms of vertical talent. We know that's his, one of his calling cards. Uh, so I think Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell, however you want to rank them at 2-3 is what it should look like. I think after that, it gets interesting. To me, four, five, six could really be ranked in any way you want. And we saw glimpses from all of them, but that's all it was. Okay. So right now, I have Elijah Moore four, Kadarius Tony five, Rashad Bateman six. We saw a two week stretch where it was the newer, the Dallas, the New Orleans game, the Dallas game, and the first drive of the Rams game that it looked like Kadarius Tony was on his way of having an Odell Beckham type rookie year after he missed the first couple of weeks with injuries and stuff. And then injuries kind of started to derail his season. He had COVID in there as well. The Giants offense was a disaster. The firing of Joe Judge, anybody who is team Kadarius Tony, anyone who has Kadarius Tony in Dynasty should be excited about the fact that Joe Judge was fired. And the likelihood is I think the Giants bring in an offensive mind and Kadarius Tony is going to be asked and be needed to be an integral part of that team next year. Very high likelihood and probability Sterling Shepard is released. Probably not going to play most of next year anyway due to the serious injury suffered late in the year. Kenny Galladay obviously didn't live up to expectations, but he's still going to be there next year. Evan Ingram's not going to be there. Saquon Barkley to be determined if they move on from him in a trade. So they don't have the resources. They don't have the, the cap flexibility this offseason. And I don't think they're going to be using early resources. And by early, I mean round one or round two. I don't think they're going to be using round one or round two resources on wide receivers. Could they, in the third or fourth round or fifth round, look at wide receivers? For sure. And I, they have extra picks this year. I, I'm sure in round somewhere between three and five, they get a wide receiver most likely. But the truth of the matter is, is they got to hope Kadarius Tony is healthy next year. They got to hope Kenny Galladay is healthy. So Kadarius Tony is going to have every opportunity to be an integral part of the team next year, probably play a lot at a slot. Uh, but as good as that two week and one drive stretch was, that's all it was. And I got excited about it. And on film, you watch that and he just looks different. He, he moves at a speed different than the other players in the NFL. He makes really good athletes look completely lost with his ability to make things happen after the catch. But you got to be available and you got to be able to play. And what we saw this year was a guy who was more advanced in his route running than I think most people thought. We saw his, his traits that dominated in college football immediately translate when he got an opportunity to. But if he's not healthy and he's not playing, it's all for not. It's all useless. So – the uncertainty with the quarterback position, the, the the head coach, and the injuries in particular, you know, makes Kadarius Tony have a little bit of a wild card. I for sure would be buying him. He had a lot of people who hated Kadarius Tony. We started out last year with how far he fell in rookie drafts. So if people look at the injury riddled year and think that's who he is long term, okay, I'd use that opportunity to buy him. If somebody's selling Kadarius Tony for a mid to late round two rookie pick, I would buy him everywhere I can because when he was on the football field, even in those short spurts, his movement skills is just different. He was the best receiver after the catch in last year's draft class. He's going to be a guy that if he stays healthy, can be a, an elite, elite level playmaker with the ball in his hands. And he showed more advances in route running than I even thought we would see in year one. 
but he's got to get healthy, prove that he can stay healthy. Uh, Elijah Morning has a little bit more of an opportunity to maybe take control of that Jets uh, wide receiver group. Obviously, they got Corey Davis there. I think those two will be probably the, the number one and number two. He's, we saw some moments in the second half of the year. But here's the thing. Elijah Moore really didn't do it much with Zach Wilson. And I skipped Zach Wilson completely when we were talking about the quarterbacks. Completely forgot about him. I'd still have him ahead of Davis Mills because Davis, the uncertainty of Davis Mills. But at the same time, uh, he has a lot to show this year. Uh, he has a lot next year to, to, to show if he can potentially be the guy there. But I'm not ready to give up on him yet. A young player. Jets were a mess this year. Offensive line was a mess. Uh, Elijah Moore had some really great weeks. Not a lot of those great weeks were with Zach Wilson. So that's something that we have to keep in mind. But I think right now, Elijah Moore showed the glimpses, being an elite route runner. That was his calling card coming out. He's got inside-outside versatility. Him and Kadaris Tony, I think, are very interchangeable in terms of what you believe in them moving forward. And I'd add Rashad Bateman to the mix there. I think the thing about Bateman is that we know Baltimore opened it up more and passed a lot more this year. Was that a sign of where they're going permanently, or was that a sign of this year they had to because of the lack of run game based on the, the older veterans that they had in the mix? I mean, J.K. Dobbins, to me, is one of the number one dynasty buys. He could be back next year, full strength, be the star that I think he could be. Gus Edwards, we'll see if he's back. If not, they'll get other reinforcements there as well. So, and Marquise Brown's there, and Mark Andrews is there. It's possible, even if Bateman is who we thought, he still might be third in the pecking order. And if they start getting the ground game going again, does that leave him a little bit less opportunity than maybe Kadarius Tony and Elijah Moore? So that's why I have him sixth. After that, Rondell Moore, uh, Terrace Marshall, Josh Palmer, and Amon Ross St. Brown, who clearly has to be moved up to number seven on this list. Just the way he finished this year, I still, we talked a lot about this. I would not overreact to how Amon Ross St. Brown finished. I'm excited, but I wouldn't overreact just yet. We got to wait to see what the Lions do before we react to Amon Ross St. Brown, but he deserves to be ahead of Rondo Moore. He deserves to be ahead of Terrace Marshall. He deserves to be ahead of Josh Palmer for sure, regardless of what you thought about them pre-draft. I think Rondo Moore has an opportunity to solidify his role as a top three wide receiver on that team with DeAndre Hopkins, maybe with Christian Kirk or or somebody else, but he's got to kind of get himself into that top three mix before we see Rondell Moore as, as a as a guy who can make consistent fantasy value. Terrace Marshall looked so great in the preseason and then just did absolutely nothing this year. We'll see. And Josh Palmer's value is very much tied into what happens with Mike Williams in the offseason. If Mike Williams was to leave the Chargers, Josh Palmer sees his overall stock explode into a guy that would become one of the top buys, I think, in Dynasty because I think his upside and you pair him with Justin Herbert, who's on the fast track of being one of the elite quarterbacks in football, I'd want to get my hands on that. So that kind of rounds out my top 10. I think some interesting guys after that, De'Ami Brown, Nico Collins, Dwayne Eskridge, you know, those would be some flyer type guys after that. So there it is, guys. My initial rookie rankings, Right after the NFL season concluded, 
Obviously, I will continue to be updating that in the rankings notebook, which is a part of the premium notebooks. Quickest way to get there is ssfootball.com. For $9.99, you get access to all our premium content. You get access to two notebooks immediately, the scouting notebook, which has like 80 or 90 profiles. Once we get official declarations of who's declaring, I will split it up into basically the, just the guy tabs for the guys who came out, tabs for guys who went back, so you can kind of just... Uh, read up on the guys that you want and then i'll add more guys to the mix i've written up four uh, new scouting profiles kenny pickett jameson williams uh kenneth walker and khalil shakir jerome ford and zach charbonnet are the next two guys that will be added i've been editing the other guys uh, that already had full scouting reports in there i'll be watching more film on those guys and continuing to update and edit them as well you get the rankings notebook which has all our different rankings that's where you'll find my dynasty rookie rankings continue to be updated right up until they start their second nfl season so a lot of changes will happen in the off season as they kind of digest the season and once we start seeing trades and free agent signings that will impact these rookies as they head into their second year for sure you get our positional dynasty rankings. You get our Devi rankings. You'll have our uh, draft eligible rankings, which then, again, once we know who declares, it'll just be draft guys. And that'll be basically an offensive draft board. You'll have our specialized tiers, which we'll start with those shows right after the Senior Bowl. Uh, and those will be the weeks leading into the Combine as well. And then in April, you get the draft projections notebook. So, again, please, if you consider... Uh, if you bought it in the past, please consider buying it again. If you never have, but you're a longtime listener to the show, please consider purchasing it. It's only nine ninety nine. It's the best way to support the show. Uh, everything that we get, we go, we, we put back right into the product, so we can continue to do what we do here at Saturday Sunday. So, on behalf of Matt, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tag engineer David Nicano and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.